how often do you wonder what your last words will be? How's that for a morbid introduction? Perhaps you never wonder what your last words will be. You think they're so far off. Unless, of course, you've just yelled at someone you love, husband, wife, son, daughter, boyfriend, girlfriend. Then you've sped off in your car and you think, oh, I better drive carefully because I would hate to get killed in a car wreck. And those be the last words I ever spoke to that person. Last words, we give them a place of honor because for good or for bad, those are the words that are remembered best. What would you like to accomplish with your last words? You know, this building that we're in was a a Methodist church from 1834 until 1866. And John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist denomination. And I wonder how many times his last words were spoken in this room. You know, a, a great man, 88 years old, months away from his death, he goes to, to, to a, a town and he stands on an, an oak dining room table at midday to preach so that all those working around could hear. And this was his message, 88 years old on the dining table, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. He wanted to bless people with the good news of the gospel. He went through the streets of Epworth the town where he had been born and in which his father had been rector for 40 years. And people lined the streets to see this godly, this man of God. And as he passed by, he quoted his favorite apostle, John, little children love one another. He wanted to bless people with the love of Christ. On February 22nd, 1790, he preached his last sermon ever. And his text was, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. The nearness of the Lord. Within a few days, Wesley was too weak to get out of bed, too feeble. One day he wanted to write, but he couldn't even hold a pen. And so his helper, Miss Ritchie, suggested, well, let me write for you, sir. Tell me what you would say. Wesley replied, nothing but that God is with us. On March 1st, a few days later, friends came and they gathered around him in his room and he grasped their hands one by one and he said, farewell, farewell. And others came into the room and he tried to speak, but he found that people couldn't understand him. So he summoned all his remaining strength and he cried out, the best of all is God is with us. Then lifting up his dying arms in token of victory, And raising his feeble voice with a holy triumph not to be expressed, he again repeated the heart-reviving words, the best of all is God is with us. And on March 2nd, 1791, he went to be with the Lord. Words of blessing. That's the way of the Lord. And we have before us this morning... The very last recorded Holy, inspi- Holy Spirit-inspired words of Moses. And they are words of blessing because the heart of the Lord is to bless his people so that we might be a blessing. You have to know that. The heart of the Lord is to bless his people so that we might be a blessing. 
Hope we'll see that as we come to the word of the Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles open, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33. We're going to be looking at the first couple of verses and then 29. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Deuteronomy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Verse 29, happy, blessed are you, O Israel, Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, and the sword of your triumph? Let's pray together. Father, we do ask now for you to be faithful to your promise as you always are. You promise, Lord, to bless the reading and the hearing of your holy word. So bless it, we pray, to our hearts, to our lives. Bless us with understanding. Bless us with conviction of truth. Bless us with transformation of our lives. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. My wife said last week after the service that I blew your hair back and left you somewhat stunned. Because after spending two entire sermons on just four verses in Deuteronomy last week, I blew through 40 verses in just one sermon. It's like when people saw manna for the first time. They said, what is this? We've never seen anything like it before. And so too, 40 verses in one sermon. What is this? We've never seen anything like it before. But nevertheless, Deuteronomy chapter 32, as we looked at the last three Sundays, it's the song that God commissioned Moses to write. The song that God said the descendants of Israel would never forget. The song that would be sung for generations. We noted last week that in many ways it is a a difficult song. There there is a note of hope sounded at the end of it. But in, in many ways we would have to describe the message of chapter 32 as one that is not positive. And that's because God believes it's the best thing to do. To tell people the truth about themselves. Here's the truth about your heart. Here's the truth about your propensities. God believes it's better to tell the truth than to stroke egos and to build self-esteem. It's better to tell people as Moses does in chapter 32 that there is a standard and that standard is the one and only true and living God who is great and perfect, and just in all his ways, a God who does no wrong. That's what we read in that chapter. And when people of any time and in any place stray from that standard, they become corrupt, warped, crooked, and twisted. That's the truth. It's the heart that will not give thanks to God for all the good and perfect gifts of your life. That's the heart on the road to corruption and and crookedness. 
It's the heart that will not be faithful. The heart that commits spiritual adultery by leaving the Lord, your first love, and chasing after other things and other loves, giving them your love, giving them your attention, giving them credit in your life for the good things that God alone has given you. That's the heart that becomes corrupt and twisted. And so there are consequences, as we saw, for that corruptness and and twistedness. And they're the lyrics of the song. Heaped up calamities, wasting famine, consuming pestilence, deadly plague, fangs of wild beasts, venom of vipers, sword and terror. It's all here in chapter 32. Difficult words to write, difficult words to speak. Surely they were words that caused wounds in the heart of the people who were hearing this song sung about who they were and what was to become of them. Surely they believed in that place. No, Lord, not us. We would never do that. Just as the apostles believed that they would never, never abandon the Lord, and yet they did. And just like you and me, there are things in our lives that say, oh, that's one thing I would never do until, of course, we do it. Hard truth. But here's the good news. These aren't the last words of Moses. Why? Why does God not allow these to be the final recorded words of Moses? Because it's not in the heart of God to tear down and destroy his people. It's the heart of God to build them up and to bless them. Always he does. Unchangingly he does. Martin Luther, I know I'm quoting the old guys this morning, but Martin Luther reminded the students that he was training for pastoral ministry. He said this to them, Sinners should not be upbraided in such a way that they are only wounded and driven to despair. Therefore, sores should not be cut and left, but they should much rather be soothed with plasters. And that's how the Lord deals with his people. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then what comes next immediately in verse 28? God blessed them. Isn't that great? God created Adam and Eve in his own image, and he created them for what? To bless them. Be fruitful and increase, God says. Fill the earth. I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Here is the blessing of the Lord. Of course, we know the end of that story. Adam and Eve were not faithful to the Lord that had blessed them so richly, and they sinned. And God did not in that moment of brokenness decide that he would no longer bless them. That he would snuff them out. He did not abandon them because as we know the best of all is God is with us. And so he came to a wounded, naked, exposed, hiding Adam and Eve with ointment, with salve, with a balm, a plaster of healing words and healing hope. 
One will come, Eve, one of your offspring. And he will crush the one who incited sin. The one who incited sin that brought such woundedness will be crushed. One day, he will be no more. Am I the only sinner that finds that good news? He will be crushed. He will be no more. Because the intent of the Lord is to bless his people. Then comes Noah. We know that story. The Lord saw the wickedness throughout the world. And he regretted that he had made mankind. And he was grieved in his heart. He says, I'll blot them out from the face of the earth. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. And we know the story of the flood. And we know the heart of the Lord to heal and to bless. We know that best of all, God is with us. And so after the flood, God comes to Noah. I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Never will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons. The blessing of the Lord in the face of sinfulness. Then we come to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord called Abraham, leave your home, go to the land I will show you. And the Lord says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, blessed, blessed. The heart of the Lord is to bless his people. All the covenants. Adam and Eve. Noah. Abraham. And now with Moses and his people. The covenants. The promises of God lead to blessing. Because God seeks to bless his people. And so it's no surprise then that the last words that we hear from Moses are words of blessing. The harsh words of the song is to awaken God's people to the path of destruction they are on so that they might return to the path of blessing. Have you ever been driving down the interstate at night and it's late and you're drowsy, not really aware of what's going on? path you've taken many times and suddenly you look around and nothing looks familiar (laughs) and you realize you missed your exit 50 miles back while you were dozing and you got to turn around am I the only one that's done that ah it's people of Israel sleeping drowsy missing the way so God wakes them up no you're on the wrong path here is the path of blessing and so chapter 33 It is that ointment, that healing balm poured over the wounds of God's people. Here's Moses being a father to his people. He's not bitter or angry or vengeful. I would be if I were Moses. Those people so frustrated the life out of him that he finally lashed out in sinfulness himself. And the Lord said, all right, you're not going to go into the promised land. It doesn't matter to Moses. He's here to bless the people. These people are going. They're going to a land flowing with milk and honey. So much livestock there. The milk is going to flow. That place is going to be so lush with vegetation that there's going to be pollen galore for those bees to make honey. 
That's the blessing that awaits them. And so Moses says, you go, you go and be blessed. And so chapter 33, the blessing of the Lord, look in verse two. The Lord came from Sinai and dawned upon Seir and and shone forth from Mount Paran. See, the Lord came and he dawned and he shone forth with myriads of holy ones. The Lord came down. Here's the presence of the Lord with his people because the best of all is God is with us, right? Look in verse 26. He rides on the heavens to help you on the clouds in his majesty. Picture it. That's what Moses wants the people to do. That's why he uses this descriptive language. Here comes the Lord. Look, the Lord's riding on a cloud. Here he comes quickly and he's coming to help us because we know the best of all is what? God is with us. Look in verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Did you ever sing that old hymn? Leaning on the everlasting arms. You know what? Here's where it comes from. The everlasting arms of the Lord with us. Because the best of all is God is with us. Verse 29, blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He's your shield and helper and your glorious sword. The best of all is God is with us. What a blessing. And then in between the first three verses of chapter 33 and the last four verses, Moses blesses each tribe individually as any loving father would do. It's not a mass of people. He sees them as individual tribes. And just as Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, and just as Esau, before he died, gathered his 12 sons, who now represent these 12 tribes, and blessed them, so now Moses blesses these individuals. Different kinds of people, different tribes, different abilities, different locations. Some are going to live in the mountains. Some are going to live in the plains. Sometime in the future, certain tribes will be passed over. Others barely mentioned. There will be crisis to which some tribes must rise. Their future is not static, inflexible, but it's changing. And history is going to unfold. And there's going to be shifting centers of gravity. But the best of all is that God is with his people. And so these blessings in this chapter... Reveal the heart of God to bless them. And he writes it in poetic form to open up their minds. To open up their imaginations to what the blessing of the Lord is. And how they might in turn be a blessing to the people of the world. And so we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate blessing of God. The ultimate presence of God, right? And the word became flesh and made his dwelling. Among us, God himself taking on flesh and living among us. Jesus says this to his disciples in Matthew 13. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What did their eyes see? Their eyes saw before him, them, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Their eyes saw before them every act of love and mercy and compassion. That's what their eyes saw. What did their ears hear? Their ears heard the truth spoken from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the best of all is that God is with us. And he satisfied the longing of these disciples in a way that those who had come before him were not blessed. Moses was the great prophet. Jesus was the greatest prophet, priest, and king. Moses, along with the other prophets, knew they were speaking truth, but it wasn't complete. There was something missing, and they knew there was something missing. And what was missing was the fullness of God and the person of Jesus Christ. They were but a shadow and they longed for the reality, the fullness of God's blessing. And so we have it in the Lord Jesus Christ. The best of all is that God is with us and he longs to bless his people. We can't help but notice the similarities between Moses and Jesus. Moses was not going into the promised land with his people. The Lord would gather Moses to himself. And so Moses Moses spoke words of blessing over his people before he left them. Jesus is not going to continue with his disciples. He knew that his time had come to leave this world and to return to his father. And so he speaks words to them. Not his final words. Those he speaks from the cross. But as you recall, the disciples, except for John, had all abandoned him and did not hear those words. Jesus' last words are recorded in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. Five chapters, almost entirely the words of Jesus before his death. And Jesus says there in John 13, verse 17, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So here in the last hours of his life on earth with his disciples, He seeks blessing for them because that's what the heart of the Lord is to do, to bless his people. What is it the disciples know of which Jesus speaks here? Well, very broadly, they know everything that they have seen and heard about Jesus. That's what they know. But specifically in this passage, they know that their Lord got up from the table, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of the disciples with the basin that he had in his hand. Now we say, oh, how sweet. We really do. Because Jesus gave that act such meaning and it's so precious to us. But the disciples were horrified. Their teacher, their leader, their master doing something that only a slave would do, that's what they saw. And when Jesus had finished doing that for the disciples, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and he he said to them, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. The Lord seeks to bless his people. So he speaks words that lead to blessing. And he shows them actions that lead to blessing for them and for those around them. After his resurrection, 
Just before his ascension, scripture tells us that Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed them. That's what he did. He lifted up his hands and he blessed the disciples. And he said to them, surely I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Because the best thing is, God is with us. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were constantly in the temple blessing God. So see, Jesus blessed the disciples. That's his heart. Jesus' blessing of the disciples calls them to bless God continually. And so the heart of the Lord is clear to us. The Lord is for us. He seeks to bless us. The Lord is for us. He seeks to bless us. The Lord is for us. He seeks to bless us. Now you're getting better. But we too are to bless others. Just as God said to Abraham, I will bless you so that you might be a blessing. And so now we get to consider our own lives for just a moment. Because we have all this truth swirling around in our minds. At least I do. We have all this truth of Deuteronomy Chapter 32, harsh truth, and yet it's followed with the blessing of chapter 33. Because whatever our idea of blessing is, it cannot come without truth. And whatever our idea of truth is, it cannot come without blessing. Christians seem to have the hardest time disagreeing without being disagreeable. Right? Uh, Nervous Twitter, because we know that's true about ourselves. We have a difficult time often using words to build up instead of to tear down. And yet we see the heart of God here is to bless and to build, build up. See, we cannot wound people with the truth of the word of God. Oops, sorry, I left the salve at home. We must not blast more effectively than we bless. Other Christians only want to slather on salve on what has not been wounded by the truth because they fear speaking truth to people. And so those people to whom they will not speak truth, they live outside of the truth of God which is the place that they will find blessing. There is no blessing outside the truth of God. And so there's blessing with no wounding. First, with the truth. All I can say, are you in that dilemma? Because I am in that dilemma, you know. Trying to speak truth, but trying to bless and and falling off the side either way. Certain people, other people, oh, don't know. All I can say is that we need to look at Jesus because John tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth, grace and truth, and he combined both perfectly. And I know this, that Jesus attracted people to him, that group that stood before him, the group that he told the those famous parables too about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost or the prodigal son, who was in that group? Scripture tells us 
tax collectors and sinners. You know what scripture says? They all drew near to Jesus. The Pharisees were there too. Scribes, the experts in the law, and they grumbled and said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Somehow Jesus communicated, it's okay. It's okay to come near. It isn't because he withheld the truth from them. Jesus did not withhold the truth from people because he is the truth and he never withheld himself. And yet those who were not living by the truth, those terrible, no good, very bad sinners drew near to Jesus and he welcomed them. It's amazing. Pharisees, the scribes, People would not draw near to them. Sinners would not draw near to them and they would not draw near to sinners. How then could they be a blessing? And so here's the question for you. And we're done, well, almost. What kind of people come near to you? What kind of people come near to you? And how do people feel in your presence? Do they feel welcomed? If so, why? Do they feel condemned or judged or unworthy? If so, why? If your holiness and your piety, it it should attract them because it's not your holiness and it's not your piety. It's what the Lord has given to you. It should be a reflection of the holiness and the grace And the compassion of the one whose presence and words and expressions communicated, it's okay to come near. So think about it. Not just your last words. Because we don't know what those last words may be. These might be my last words. (laughs) Think about the story you would have to tell. (laughs) Our dear young pastor... He preached on his last words and then he died. That'd be a great story. Let's pray it's not reality. So we don't know when our last words will come. So let's do this. Let's think about our everyday words, okay? Our everyday words. Are they full of truth and are they full of grace? Do they wound because they're true, but do they also bring healing and blessing? We are blessed by God in so many ways. And so we must bless the Lord back, right like the disciples, continually in the temple, blessing the Lord. And we must be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the myriad ways that you have blessed us. 10,000 reasons and beyond, Lord, we have for blessing you for who you are and for what you have done for us and in this world from the beginning of time. So we bless you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that you bless us by telling us the truth. Lord, we would not know how to live this life. We wouldn't know what to do. We would not intuit how to relate to others. And if we did, Father, it would probably be the very opposite of what you call us to do. But no, you show us how to relate to others with your truth, but with blessing. 
So we thank you that your truth leads us and guides us and tells us who it is we are to be and, and what we are to do in light of who you are. So Father, I pray that we would be people of blessing to others, that we would know your truth. And Lord, show us, we pray, Spirit of God, how to apply that truth with grace and mercy so that your people are built up. So that people who are far from you will know the truth, will know their desperate need for you, will know the the depth of their sin. Father, it's a good thing to communicate that truth so that we can apply the salve of the gospel. But here's the good news. Sinner though you be, there is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us those kind of people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.